Welcome back, friends. We're so glad that you've joined us again on the H&H Hour. My name is Heather Taves, and this is my sister and co-host, Heidi Bolt. Hey, guys. We're excited you're back. So, Heidi, we have um, a really fun guest on our podcast today, but we also have a sad puppy in our garage. So Yes. He just you, had surgery. He did. So, if, if you hear barking, uh-huh. listeners, just be... Just know that that little puppy is just out there in the garage all by himself, sad and lonely. And we're just living ordinary life. Ordinary life. With a recovering puppy. Yep, with puppies <laughs> in the garage. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, it is so glad, we're so glad to have you back with us and to get to share with you an extraordinary story yeah. today from an extraordinary woman. Yes. And um, she may feel that she is just ordinary, but we've gotten to hear her story already. Yeah. And Heidi, I just... I'm blown away by it on so many levels. I know. When we first got to speak with this person, I went home and talked to my husband about her, and he had the same reaction I did Yeah, with some of her life yeah. experiences. Like, what? what? Yeah. So, so this is exciting yes. to share with our listeners right. who we're chatting with today. Right. So Megan Holly, welcome to the H&H Hour. Thank you so much. We're so glad to have you today all the way from Tennessee, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. This is the first podcast I've ever done, so thank you guys for having me on. Yay, that's so fun, your first podcast. Welcome to Podcast World. (laughs) Yes, thanks. (laughs) So Megan is the founder of an amazing company called Ethic Goods, Mm -hmm. and we'll get into more of that in a little while and hear her story about that, Um, and we love Ethic Goods. We both own several pieces from them and so we'll talk about that a little bit more and hang on because at the end of this podcast you have to listen all the way through after we say goodbye to Megan we're going to give you an awesome amazing offer yes from Ethic Goods and they're sponsoring this show today so um, we'll give you all the details of that but Megan so tell us a little bit we know that you are in Tennessee and we know that you founded Ethic Goods but tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so I um I'm a wife. My husband Jeff and I have been married for five years. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary last weekend. Oh, can I pause you for just a second? Yeah. Your wedding photos? Oh, oh. my <laughs> word. Megan, they're stunning. Oh, thanks. You posted That's them so on, much. was it Instagram a couple uh-huh. days ago? Uh-huh. And I was just yeah. like, what? We went with a carnival theme for the wedding. I really didn't want to have a cookie-cutter wedding, and so we... Um, We actually rented a vacation rental, and it was a farm out in Leesburg, Virginia, and basically just did the carnival theme for the whole wedding. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Oh my goodness. You all have to go on her Instagram, at Megan (laughs) Hawley, just to see that. I mean, it was, I was just like jaw on the ground. So fun. So fun. Thanks. So, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Actually, it came, well, that's okay. I was going to say, it came about because I'm a really awkward dancer. I oh. really, really do not. I just, I love going to weddings to celebrate marriage, but when it comes time to dance, I'm just super awkward. And so I wanted to have games at my wedding instead of dancing so that I didn't feel uncomfortable on my wedding day. And so it kind of just, that's where. That that's is how hysterical. we came up with the whole carnival. Thing. I love it so much. <laughs> How extraordinary is that? That is great. That is so great. So you've been married for five years. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five years. And um, let's see, we moved here to Tennessee, a small town in Tennessee called Cookville, where my family is from, where my dad's side of the family grew okay. up. Um, and we moved from D.C., where we had been for about, um, I'd been there for about eight years. Jeff had been there for about ten. That's a pretty big so transition. Big yeah. Yeah, it's a big change. Yeah. 
Is this like small town in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, or like close to all the stuff? Sort of. It's about 45 minutes outside of Nashville, so it's not, you know, like too far, but it is definitely its own small town, so. Do you um, feel like a whole new world has opened up in your schedule without the traffic of D.C.? Yes, it is super crazy. I feel like I've gotten hours back in my day and Mm. everything is so slow and it's actually really nice so it's beautiful of course it's beautiful the rolling hills of Tennessee are just gorgeous so yeah we're loving it oh I love that so much well you have such an interesting story about how you grew up and we'll get into that in a minute but first of all um tell us something one of our favorite questions we ask everyone what is something about yourself that feels ordinary Um, Well, this was actually a challenging question to me because I feel like everything is ordinary. Hmm. Um, You had a carnival-themed wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's not ordinary. Well, that was a little different. You're right. But um, (laughs) but most things seem ordinary. I mean, I cook every day. I go to work. I do the gym thing when I can. I binge on Netflix. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I love Target, you know. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things to me just feel very, yeah, very ordinary, very everyday. This is so interesting that you say that because I think that's part of what this show is so, is so much about because so many people, you know, I hear your story and I'm like, oh my goodness, this girl is incredible and her life is so extraordinary and she's had so many amazing experiences and then you're just so like, unique. Yeah, yeah, I'm just ordinary. <laughs> but don't you think that that's how a lot of people feel like they they when you live your life, mm-hmm. you you almost don't see the like the bigness of it and the extraordinary parts of it. Well, it's normal. Yeah. You know, your for life you. is normal for you. Yeah. And so people looking in, it's almost like that, you know, the first experience of something great right. and seeing like, wow, you have so much to offer. Yeah. And I think being reminded of what we have to offer yeah. the, this great world. So. Yeah, it's true. I actually love that question so much because I'm, I totally adhere to the C.S. Lewis mindset that there are no ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you look at your life and your daily life and you're like, actually, though, there are really ordinary things in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. know, like yeah. most of the time is spent like on the, the normal stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I yeah. think we're all right there with you, though. You know, we all have a hundred things we could list that make us feel ordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the heels of that, what's something that you think is extraordinary about you and your life? Um, well, I had a pretty extraordinary upbringing, I would say. Um, I And I had really extraordinary parents. And both mm. of them came from pretty ordinary homes. My dad's from this small town in Cookville, Tennessee. Um, and my mom grew up in Chicago. And um, they both came from pretty ordinary families. Um, although they are actually... To be honest, they are a little bit wacky in all the best ways. <laughs> That's um, good. But Aren't we I all? think they they had an, an extraordinary mindset. Like they they really valued things like travel and um, and doing things out of the box. And so nothing was weird. Nothing was off the table. And they kind of had the fearless thing about them. Both of them did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, there if they wanted to do something, the question wasn't. How you know, like we can't afford this. Um, it's more how can we afford this, or you know, it's not we don't have time for this. It's how can we make time in our lives for this. And so, um, the idea of can't or um, you know being limited by something in your circumstance wasn't really a thing mm-hmm. growing up. And so, um, and so one example of that is that I grew up on a boat. My dad 
really loved the water. He grew up in Middle Tennessee, where totally it's totally landlocked. Um, but he went out and bought himself a boat and found a lake and kind of made it happen, you know. And that well, that eventually can we can that? we point out that you didn't just grow up like boating, like you grew up <laughs> on a boat. You lived on a boat. It's true. Yes, I'm still that, getting over true. this fact. Explain explain this to us, Megan. How does that work exactly? Well, that's, yeah, that's a good question. I've gotten that question a lot, actually. And it was really fun in school because kids were like, whoa, how do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> so how do like, you go to the Right off the way, dock. The regular way. The regular way. <laughs> um, well, I mean, oddly enough, there's actually a whole community of liveaboards at almost every marina. Um, so anywhere where there is a marina and sailboats, you can probably expect to find a community there. It's a really neat community, too, because they all kind of value the same thing, even even if they're very different people, you know? Like, mm. um, like just last week, we had some guests over um, to the farm. They were helping us renovate, but my dad had met them sailing in the Caribbean, and this guy, just, he he's a fix-it guy. Like, he can fix and do anything, and so... Oh. Um, they hopped off their boat in the Caribbean and were in the States, and so they just came down to Tennessee and helped us out. So, oh my um, goodness, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. The community is really tight. People help, help each other. It's very communal, kind of what I have is yours type of thing. So, um, it's a really, it's a really, um, I would say extraordinary community and thing to be a part of for sure. I feel like I must've been living under a rock because I didn't even know that this existed. <laughs> I didn't well, either. people don't. It's yeah, so amazing. Okay. So Outside if you, the voting world. if you just, you know, decided you wanted to have a friend over, was that conversation just like hey can you come over to my boat (laughs) right you well and it's funny because you guys had asked me that and I think that's the first time I really thought about that um because we played like there were other kids on the dock that were my friends um and we played on the dock and um we played together a lot of course but I I did go to a lot of parks And I went to a lot of other people's houses. Okay. So that must have been the solution to that. I don't know. I did have friends over. I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember feeling like, oh, I can't have somebody over because we're on the water. I I feel like I would have always wanted to come to your boat instead of coming to my (laughs) house. Yeah, but I can totally see, like, as a mom being like, sure, but here's your life vest. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, we did have to wear a life jacket, but my claim to fame is that I never fell in, so... So that did you guys not, like, you didn't have games where it was, like, you know, push each other off the dock and, like, no. tag on the dock? Okay, because I just feel no. like, well, you're a girl, so maybe if you had been a boy, you'd have been a little more <laughs> crazy. Yeah, we did have, um, it's called a bosun's chair, so it's a chair that you sit in that hoists you up to mat the, the mast if you need to make repairs. So I would swing on that, like a tire swing. Oh my goodness. And then... I had my own dinghy, which I thought was super cool. So I did a lot of um, dinghy adventures and fishing around the marina. That's so that was so amazing. But yeah, we always had life jackets. So I'm so intrigued about your sleeping quarters. Tell us about that. <laughs> it's called, well, I slept, it's called a V-berth. So at the very tip of the boat where it comes into a V, typically there is a little bed up there or two beds. Sometimes there's like one on each side and kind of some standing room in the middle. And mine didn't have that. Um... It was, yeah, you walk in, and then the bed is actually about waist level, and you can, there's drawers underneath to put your clothes in and things like that, and then you just hop up into the bed. And so I had, um, I had my little stuffed animals in this hammock strung throughout the length of the bed, <laughs> and that was sort of where I put things. That is so fun. 
I have yeah. such good pictures of this in my mind. I know. I love it so much. Oh my goodness. It was a lot of fun. Truly extraordinary. Yes. You win you win the award fun. for yes. the best extraordinary yes. moment. Yes. That's absolutely awesome. I'll let my dad know. He'll <laughs> Yes. He'll appreciate that. So oh. how many years did you guys live on the boat? So I was let's see. I mean, my parents got divorced when I was in about second, third grade. Okay. And I continued to live on the boat with my dad part time. Okay. Um, I did. We did the half and half thing mm-hmm. until I was probably sixteen years old, and wow. so um, I lived on the boat with him then. And then in, in my mom, of course, we lived on house. Um, and then when I graduated from college, I wanted to move back on the boat. So my dad at the time had a little twenty six footer, which is a teeny tiny boat. Um, it's just big enough to like have an inside and mm-hmm. a toilet and shower area and all of that and a little kitchen. Um, but I lived on that for about a year after college, wow. which was super fun. So, so fun. Yeah. What a great story. I love it. I Thanks. feel like your children that you have in the future are going to feel like you're jipping them. Yeah. If you live in a house. <laughs> yeah. But your yeah. dad has a boat still, right? Ta- talk does, to us yeah. about that. Cause that's so cool. Yeah. So he's got, um, he actually has a ministry where, um, he spends half the half the year in the Caribbean and opens up his boat to um, pastors and missionary that need some R and R, and then they host mission teams as well. So there's mm. a lot of um, there's actually a lot of poverty mm. in the Caribbean, surprisingly, yeah. and so um, he hosts construction teams and then also medical teams that are there to just serve the local community. Wow. So. Yeah, and it's it's still down there. So he's during hurricane season, which is our summer. Mm-hmm. Um, he and my stepmom come up here. Okay, and then the rest of the year they're down in the Caribbean, kind of living the dream. What amazing ministry that is! I know. Yeah, I, it's I mean, cool. I I I love ministry. I think I'll think about that for the second half of yes, my life. Yes, if you need no if you need an R and R. Yeah, there you go. Sign us up. <laughs> oh my goodness, definitely. Well, um, I I just love your story about um just your passion, um, the God gift given gift that he's given you in fashion and design and how that all came about. Can you talk to us a little bit about when you feel like that started and then take us through that journey? Because that story just to me, just it's, it's such a neat story of a God given gift that he put inside Mm -hmm. of you, but then your journey to kind of find that and find who you were and the plans that he had for you. So I know it's, it's kind of a long story, but we're up for it. Like just launch into us and tell us. Okay. Um, well, thank you, by the way, for being interested. That's really, really sweet of you yeah. guys. Um, when I was, I mean, when I was a kid, even on the boat, I had my little caboodle. Caboodle. And it turns out they're still a thing. They're which still is a crazy thing. to me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a caboodle filled with my beads, and so I would make jewelry and stuff. And then um, even in through college, I mean, not the caboodle beads, but, you know, I got <laughs> a little fancier college, beads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I upgraded a little as I got older. But even in college, I would make, um, you know, just make jewelry as kind of a creative outlet. But when I was about 13 or 14, I really started to get into fashion. And I um, mentioned earlier that my parents divorced when I was about, you know, kind of the 8 to 10 range. And after that, they went in very different directions. So um, my dad became a believer, and my mom married an atheist. And so yeah. very quickly, I had two different mm. worlds. And yeah. and it actually took my dad a while to um, develop his faith in Christ, to be yeah. honest. That was a, mm-hmm. a journey, too. So sure. that wasn't immediate. Um, but I had, I've always known the Lord. I've just, the 
the God as a father and mm. God as close has been so real to me my entire life, which mm. I'm really, really grateful for. And so, yeah. um, so but when that, when that split kind of happened, I really had to wrestle through what I really thought about faith and, um, Christ and what was true and how I was going to live my life. And how early. old were you at this point? Um, well, let's see. My mom remarried in 95, and they had been together for several years before that. Okay. So I was probably, I was 12 at that point when okay. they remarried. Wow. So I was probably like nine when they met. Okay. Um, maybe 10, something in that, in wow. that time frame. And another very extraordinary fact. So my mom, um, you know, having this sort of fearless mindset, um, she yeah. found somebody else that also had that same kind of mindset. Um, which I do think is just so cool. So my stepdad, actually, um, he was previously married. And through that marriage, they had 10 children. Oh, and so, wow. And, so, and nine of those, nine of those 10 children are adopted from oh all over the world. Goodness. Wow. So it's like I kind of entered into this like mini UN situation <laughs> where I was the only white girl in the family all of a sudden. Um and the youngest and the only all at the same time so kind of a double brat in that way but wow um, so that was that was a big a really really big change for me um and so one um but you know what on a faith level what that did was really force me to think about some of these things very early on and Mm -hmm. I just always knew I just in my heart of hearts I just knew and I had experienced Christ and that was so real to me. Um, and so, uh, what I came up against though, was the value of living as living with and growing in my understanding of the values of the kingdom in a world, in one world that was not yeah. exhibiting those values. And so, yeah. um, when I was about 13, 14, I started getting really interested in fashion. Um, I was also a soccer player, and so I, I started working at, um, for a store called Soccer West mm-hmm. um, as soon as I could get a job. <laughs> and my first paycheck was $204, and I marched myself right across the street to the mall and spent every penny. <laughs> yes. Like a boss. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Probably all in, like, sale type of stuff at Wet Seal, but, you know. Yeah. Um, we grow in our... In our in our taste, yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, but I just remember um, as I as I grew up and started to grow in the expression and grow in my own sense of style, and um, that that was really, really turned, um, you know, kind of viewed negatively mm, okay. um, in my in my new home, and okay. so. Um, the message that I got that was sometimes spoken, sometimes not spoken was you're materialistic. Mm. Christians are materialistic, Mm. which is hypocritical. And so that's why we're not Christians. Um, And that really, really sunk in deep in my, in my head. I knew that that wasn't true of me and that that was not my value set that, um, I hadn't quite worked out the sacred secular thing yet mm, sure. um, in the same way that I have now, but I just knew that, that that something didn't sound right. But in my soul and in my spirit, I really wasn't tough enough to let that sink in. And I don't think kids that age are really supposed to be tough enough not to let that sink in. Right, right. Um, but, and so for a long time, I really wrestled with um, having this this desire and this passion for fashion and um, accessories and clothing, um, and beauty and art really even too Mm. on a a much broader level that I didn't know what to do with Mm. and kind of felt guilty about it. And so I would continue to go shopping and totally blow, blow through my paycheck. But, um, 
but I, I would sneak bags in the house and things like that. And so mm. I just, I just really had this really heavy guilt um, mm. in, in that, in that department. Sure. Which um, probably caused you to not pursue that as a career, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Never occurred to me. Never yeah. occurred to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I guess when, when ethic kind of came into my life, it was such a surprise to right. me, I guess. Yeah. In that regard, I had been traveling one of the, one of the, I mean, one of the values of both sides of my family was travel and yeah. seeing the world and yes. knowing that there's a, a lot out there and a lot of different kind of people and cultures that are um, really great to experience. And so my dad started taking me to Thailand when I was a senior in college. Hmm. And he had a friend that ran an organization over in Burma. This was kind of at the height of the Burmese um, crisis, Mm -hmm. but kind of right before everything really became super public. Um, But he had a friend over there that was training Burmese to help help them get their own communities across the Thai-Burma border safely into Thailand, um, into the refugee camps there. Wow. And so my dad really wanted me to see that. And so he, we flew into Thailand, into Bangkok, and then from there went into Burma. But one thing that I noticed right away was how just blatantly obvious the sex industry was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was jarring for me. I, I knew about, I knew what trafficking was. I had, I had um, watched some videos, like I think I, I jam. Mm-hmm does some really great videos anyways that I had seen on my college campus. So I knew what it was, but right. I just didn't expect it to be so in your face. Yeah. So you obvious. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just walking down the street. And, uh, but my, my dad having, having gone um, to Thailand and Burma several times before new organizations there that were doing something about it. And so I am really thankful that my first experience with just seeing what that was like was also through the lens of, what good was happening to be done about it and so we stayed at um actually just in the actual ministry there's um there's several ministries there but we stayed there our first time that I ever went to Bangkok um got to know the leaders of the organization and kind of what they did and how they addressed it so um so that was just really cool I think to be exposed to such a challenging problem but through the perspective of like there's there's really good things being done about it too. Yeah. So in, in Bangkok in particular, I feel like maybe this is true of other parts of the world, but it just seems like the problems are so out there and open and obvious, but at the same time hope is as well. And so mm. you see the good and the bad really sitting and occupying the mm. same space. Mm. And so that's, it's just a really, really unique and dynamic um, city in that sense and country as well. So did that make dive down? Did that make a pretty big impression on you, like that you t- brought home with you? Yeah, it did. So I, I kind of realized that because I, because I was exposed to the issue as a, as a, as a person and the, the solution as a person, if that mm. makes sense, yep. it kind of made me feel like this is an engageable issue. Okay. Yeah. Like this is something that we can do something about. Whereas when I just watched the videos, it was like there are X, Y, Z amount of slaves in the world. Yeah. And this is a billion dollar industry. Yeah. And yeah. it feels a bit overwhelming. But sure. then when you go there, you're like, there's this one girl on the street that I'm uh, talking to or yep. that I see as I walk by. Mm-hmm. And there's this one organization with, you know, these this handful of people and this is what they're doing and these are the relationships with the women that they have and they become human 
Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it's so funny how we actually dehumanize issues yes. that involve people. Yeah. Mm. So, and not to say that we shouldn't have videos and things like that and educational resources. Of right. course, that's huge, right. you know, for, for helping educate people on the issues. But I think sometimes it can hinder us from really engaging and getting from, involved. I think from realizing that, you know, it can seem overwhelming, like it's such a big issue. Mm-hmm. And so we think that, well, what could I possibly do to mm-hmm. help this? Like, I'm just one person. Mm-hmm. But like for you, you experienced that and now you've put things into motion that we'll chat about, but that are, that is helping with that industry. Um, so I think that's maybe a word for someone to be encouraged that if they've got this on their heart to be yeah. an advocate um, for people that are in the sex industry that you can do something, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. if you yeah. can't do it for all of them, you can do it for one. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally true. Yeah. So fast forward then in your story to, um, the trip that you took where you sort of had this vision birth for ethic sure. goods. Yeah, sure. So I had, um, after that first trip I took to Thailand, I actually wound up going back several times. I moved to DC eventually and I, started working for a church that was really involved in missions Mm -hmm. and went to Thailand. So I was able to take that team every year. So um, by the time the idea for Ethic came about, I had been taking teams and um, helping introduce other people to, um, to organizations Mm -hmm. in Thailand that, that did, um, you know, that helped women in the sex industry. And so in 2011, um, there was one particular trip. It fell over Valentine's day and basically, however, like Hallmark marked Valentine's Day is in the U.S., it's like times 10 in really? Asia. Because huh. it's like all of the teddy bears and the flowers and all the things are like super okay. out. So it's a really big deal over there. Yeah, huh. I can kind of see um, that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and so in Thailand, there's, I mean, the sex industry is super prominent. So Valentine's Day was just a huge day for that. So the way that this trip was structured, we were going to spend the first half of the trip in Bangkok. So from like February 10th through the 14th, and then the 15th through like the 20th out in the rural area. Okay. And we can talk more about the connection between those two areas but basically in the rural areas where a lot of the ladies come from and so the programs that are out there are on the preventative side okay helping them to keep from coming into the city and then the organizations that work in the city directly are really trying to help those ladies transition out of the sex industry once they get stuck and can't get out makes sense so um and then once once they've once they have come out of the sex industry, they will at some point reach an issue of needing to have an alternative employment Mm -hmm. that's dignified and that's sustainable. And so many organizations do, um, they make jewelry, they learn sewing and bags and make cards or different soaps even, you know, so there's just, there's a lot of that around. Yeah. And so I had thought, let's just buy like a hundred dollars worth of stuff and from their store Hmm. and, bring it back home and see if we can sell it. Mm, And so that was Valentine's Day in the afternoon. So we spent, you know, a couple hours there and I was just so excited to be there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like, because you were shopping shopping. my suitcase because I was shopping. Yes, (laughs) exactly. For a purpose, even a great purpose. Shopping for a cause. Yeah. Pay me to do that. (laughs) So, so that was just great. And then in the evening we did outreach, which is basically where you go into the bars and this is how these organizations meet the ladies. You go into the bars and you actually have to buy their time. You have to enter into the system Mm. 
play that game and yeah. then when you're sitting across the table from them chatting you say hey if you'd ever like to do something different or you know um would like to go down a different path like here's the card or here's wow. the phone number of somebody hmm. that can help you do that that's safe and all of that um but really it's after doing that a lot of times in developing relationships that that women really will feel that trust you yeah know? sure um so so we did we did outreach that night and then the next day as we were driving it's about a five-hour drive from bangkok to the next place that we were going out in the rural area I was just kind of processing the day before, and I think because it was Valentine's Day, like one person on our team actually was able to purchase a girl for the night, hmm. which um, usually is a little bit more difficult to do unless you're like an older guy, basically. And they're, hmm. you know, our team was mostly girls, hmm. but um, and so they they had like taken her out to dinner and they went bowling and did some other fun things. Wow. But um, so we, I was just kind of processing that, and I was like, Lord. I've just got to make a confession here. Um, you know that I really care about this issue, but I've just got to admit to you that the most fun and the most alive and the most like me that I have felt during this whole time has been shopping. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt bad, you know? Oh. Um, and it was right then. It was like one of those moments where I don't know if you guys experience this when the Lord speaks to you, but he'll bring several things up almost instantaneously and mm. kind of touch on all of them at the same mm. time. Yes. And I just like images from um, and feelings of, mm. of guilt and, and feeling like like I'm materialistic and all mm. these things and that those messages just all popped up and yes. he was like nope like that's like just shut it down like yeah. that is from that's from me like that's a gift first of all it's a gift it's mm. not something that everybody gets it's something special that I gave to you mm. it's from it's from me it was intentional and I gave it to you for a reason and then the design piece and it is actually what these women need to succeed in their businesses because uh, you know varying on the organization a lot of them really struggle with their product you know sure. it's it's they're not they're not designers and so their background is in psychology and trauma care and things like that yeah. it's not necessarily yeah. in business and design yeah. yeah and so I had collected lots of product from from women over the years and really didn't enjoy wearing it when I came home which is kind mm. of you know there was a sad truth um, yeah hmm. And so that was kind of the moment when I started putting this together. Like, what if I could use my desire for fashion and beauty to actually serve them mm. in what they're already doing and maybe take on the design component of what they're doing wow. and then just and hire them to make it because what they really need is the work. They're, yeah. you know, they don't know what the market in the sure. U.S. wants or, yep. you know, wherever. So, yep. um, so that's kind of where, where it began and kind of how, you know, I wrestled through some of those feelings of, of feeling like, you know, that fashion was not something really worthy to be a career or, you know, not something that would be in line with the values of the kingdom. Wow. You know, those kind of things. It's so interesting to me, Megan, because it sounds like, um, you know, so we, we serve a God and we, we believe in his um, sovereign leadership of our lives as Christ mm -hmm. followers. But then if we believe in that good peace, we also have to believe mm -hmm. in the, the peace, which is evil. And mm -hmm. it sounds like the enemy was trying from a very young age to convince you to believe that 
you were wrong to walk in that fashion industry. Rob rob her of it. Yeah, because it would have kept you out of this very um, profound and good calling that God is using in such an amazing Mm -hmm. way. Um, I just feel like that's so clear to me that that was, you know, something that he didn't, he wanted to hinder that Mm -hmm. in you so that you wouldn't step into, you know, birthing ethic goods and helping these women specifically um, to be able to create jewelry that we are wearing now in the United States and carrying the leather bags. And I think that is so incredible. So brave of you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. So did you, so that was I just I'm just thinking through this and I'm thinking you know you have this this love for fashion and as as a young child but then you are a grown woman you're an adult when you have this mm-hmm. sort of revelation this moment mm-hmm. where God speaks mm-hmm. to you and um, had you given up on sort of that passion and love for fashion had you set it aside that's a good question. I don't think I actually gave up because I never entertained it in the first place. Okay. Hmm. I, I just always felt like, you know, had this level of guilt about it. And so okay. I just never, I okay. never explored it ever. And so it was kind of a surprise to be like, oh, this is the this- thing. And I, and in that moment, I wasn't thinking like, maybe I can make a career out of this, but mm-hmm. it was kind of like, I'd sort of like to try, you know? Yeah. Okay. So out of college, what was your plan going to be? Did you have a career path? I wanted to go into human rights law. So I actually Mm -hmm. went to Australia for a year um, doing advocacy issues based out of there. And I moved to D.C. to go to law school and never did. I started working for a law firm and just was really not enjoying life. And I was like, this is not something that's not right. (laughs) So working at at the church actually was sort of like, okay, I'll just do this for a while and see you know, I'll kind of re- have time to sort of reprocess and rethink mm. about the direction of my life. And then ju- it just really wound up being a fit. Wow. That's a pretty big jump to go from law school yeah. to <laughs> ministry. Yes. Yes. Which is funny because I did, I went to an Assemblies of God college and the whole time I was there, I was just like, man, it's so funny. I'm here because I'm just not going into ministry. <laughs> like, ever. I never saw that for myself. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So how long from the time that you experienced this this moment um and had this idea to when ethic goods actually became a company that was a lot slower of a process okay. um at first i just started researching other companies that were doing something similar i thought i mean now of course like ethical fashion is much more something that we're aware of but at yeah. the time i just i had no idea right you know so i started doing some wholesaling from from other companies, um, but at the at, man at the time there was only a couple that I knew of at least. I'm mm-hmm. sure there were more out there, but mm-hmm. um, and then I then we started doing our own designs. But at, at the time, which I mean that was in maybe 2009, okay. so, or sorry, 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 2012. Okay, so about a year after we had started, um, and at the time we weren't big enough to place an order in Thailand because. Even though that, even though the ladies there, the businesses weren't doing really well, they really couldn't afford to stop what they were doing to work with new materials and sure. learn a new thing. Okay. It was just, a, it was just too big of a switch yes. for them yeah. on a business level. And so we started in Ethiopia. I had a friend there mm. who had launched a similar program, oddly enough, mm. and they had been doing really, really well. And so. That to me was one an encouragement, just that this model works. You know, yes, other people are doing this, right. it's not just me. 
Um, but they also had found materials and things that were working really well for them. And so we started doing our own designs in Ethiopia and did that for a couple of years and then went back to Thailand once we grew to a point where I can say, okay, like, I think this size of an order is going to be sure. worth it for you guys to take on. Well, and I remember, so would Ethiopia, when you went in and started, and we'll talk about what the, the, what you were making, what you were using over there, but was that about 2013 or 2014? Something like about, that? I think it was actually about 2012. 2012. When we first okay. started going to Ethiopia. Yeah. So I remember launched. I remember hearing about it from our sister-in-law, Brooke, who's mm-hmm. a good friend of yours. And she was telling us, you've got to see this jewelry and you've got to see what they're made of. So talk to us about what was this jewelry made of? Because that's such an interesting story. Yeah, it's super cool. So they, um, you know, there's a lot of, been a lot of conflict over in Africa and yeah. in East Africa. And so they use bullet casings that have been collected from former conflict areas and they're melted down and remade into beads. So it's a pretty cool way to recycle... Wow something that was meant for you know bad being turned into something beautiful yes that is amazing I just and I absolutely I have a my heart is partially there because my um husband's family is from over there when they're not from Mm -hmm. there they were missionaries over there and grew up Mm -hmm. over there so we're we have a lot of ties to that so I I'm especially loving that yeah 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 had you seen any any jewelry that used bullet casings before no no, wow. yours was the first, and yeah. I remember wow. I remember Brooke bringing a piece to us. I'm not even sure if it was being sold yet or not. I think it was like at the very beginning, and she was okay. like, "Look at this!" and we were all uh-huh. just fascinated by Aww. it. Yeah. Well, and it's so it's such a cool That's thing so cool. that it's impacting people's lives, but yet still on trend. Yeah. And something because I can relate to you when you've when I've traveled in ministry before and picked up souvenirs, then you mm-hmm. come home and it doesn't really fit. Yeah. Right. Your yeah. culture yeah. and your wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of gets set aside. Yeah. 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 It's like an untold story that you want to share, but then you're like, but it doesn't really go with this. So, right. Yeah. So I know that you've got to be careful to protect the, um, you know, the stories of the women that you guys work with, Mm -hmm. but can you tell us how them being able to partner with ethic goods has helped change, you know, their lives and, and what's come of that? Yeah, and the, and just to um, be open about the reason that why you know why we don't share individual stories is simply because it's not our story to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in just the aid and development world in mm-hmm. general, there's been a lot of unintentional but still re-exploitation mm-hmm. of really well-meaning people saying, "Hey, look, I helped a trafficking victim mm-hmm. or whatever," and then that poor girl is a trafficking victim for her entire life. You sure. Yeah. Um, or that's yep. how we understand yep. her, and so it creates kind of this. American savior mentality when sure. the reality is is that their stories are the ones that are really incredible and yes. we want to return the dignity um, back to them that they should be the ones to share it and, or so not good. share it yeah. you know in That's the same so way wise. that we would share or not share our own so um but the typical this is and this is kind of the ordinary um journey of a lot of the girls is that um that in Thailand, there's a culture called same, same. And we had talked about this sort of being the Thai version of keeping up with the Joneses. Was <laughs> a, I thought it was a really good way to put it. Yes. Explain that. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So same, same is basically like, if you have this cell phone, then I've got to have that cell phone. Yeah, and that's okay. sort of what it looks like in the city. But yeah. out in the country, 
Um, it's more like if you've got this toilet, then I've got to get a toilet too. If you huh. get running water, I've got to get running huh. water. Okay. So there's really not a lot of money out there. Yeah. You know, they're they're not um, economically speaking. Like, um, yeah, they they do really struggle on yeah. on yeah. that side. And so there is a lot of pressure to mm. keep up a certain face. And in Thailand specifically, it's the oldest daughter's responsibility to take care of the family financially. And so what this does is, and then on top of that, um, the education system only requires girls go to school through ninth grade. Okay. So wow. It, it can I can of, I ask a question yeah. about that? Yeah. Um, just to clarify, it. It's the oldest daughter's responsibility, not the parent's responsibility? Correct. Wow. Yep. So until until that oldest daughter's daughter is old enough to contribute, it's essentially that daughter. And the moms, the, like the grandmother in, that, in this situation, will continue to do as much as she can. But wow. Are the men health. not involved? Are the men not what, what where do they fit into this yeah they really do have a huge role to play in the solution um okay. their responsibilities are primary spiritual so okay. it's a buddhist culture so okay yep. when their sons go to the temple to fulfill their responsibility which is kind of like a one-time thing okay they're really done so they don't yep. have a lot of responsibilities okay. um, to the family wow so, which is the reason why some of the um, the organizations that we work with out in the rural areas do include boys in their programs because we really believe that boys are part of the solution. Sure. Okay, that makes a um, lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what will happen is parents will send their daughters into the city, um, into Bangkok to work, and because they've only got up to a ninth grade education, they don't really have the skills um or the education to get a good job and Mm. so they'll be stuck kind of in this weird place of of being able to you know they can either work for the bars and make enough money or they can work two or three other odd jobs like nannying or cleaning Mm. or things and really not make that much money and Mm. so um a lot of them that's how that's their entry level into the sex industry and they just don't know that from there it's going to be a slippery slope and they can't really get out and so um and then they get stuck and even families it's it's very much a shame-based culture and Mm -hmm. so in order to save themselves from the shame families won't talk about it yeah and Mm -hmm. so it's just sort of widely accepted is the ironic part you know so nobody really wants that for their kid but yet at the same time it continues to happen over and over again it's sort of almost survival it sounds like yes yeah Yeah, it really is it really is and sometimes it's not just to keep up with the joneses you know it's um it's to eat and necessity yeah Yeah. it's not a necessity yeah and so there's a lot of different reasons what will you know why families will send their daughters into the city but it's it's always based on, on money yeah and so um and so they get stuck and that's kind of the uh, you know, the details are always different, of yep. course, for every girl that we meet, but that's yep. primarily how that happens, you know, how yeah. it happens. Um, and one reason why we work with efforts happening out in the rural area is because, you know, they're focusing on building healthy families, yeah. on helping girls stay in school through 12th grade, on, you know, helping boys become aware of the issue mm-hmm. of what's happening and what they can do about it, mm-hmm. you know, wow. all hmm. of that. Um so, yeah, but then on the flip side, there's, you know, the program that we partner with is, I remember when I first started going to Thailand, we, um, 
we met these girls and they were in, gosh, maybe middle school, something like that. Mm. Um, and now they are, the last time I was in Bangkok, they were also in Bangkok, but they were there for college, which mm. was really super exciting. Yes. And they had, they had gone through this program and graduated high school, wow. found something that they wanted to do, applied, got everything they needed to go to college, and now they're in their college program. So wow. we're just really hoping and praying that that becomes like when you think about same, same, you know, yeah, that's the norm. then other yes. families that that becomes the new norm and yeah. other families oh. say, Oh my goodness. So-and-so what, you know, is in Bangkok, but she's there in school and yes. she's going to do X, Y, Z, you know, whatever she wants wow. to do. Um, and that will kind of become their new normal. That and is... it's, it happens one village at a time. Yeah. So the yeah. village that we work in is Khan Ken. Um, yeah, it's about six, six, seven hours North of Bangkok, Northeast. Wow. So how Super often are small. how often do you personally go over there still? Three to well, I was going to say 3 to 4, but actually in the last year I only went a couple of times. So yeah, I would ideally like to be there 3 to 4 times, yeah. but yeah. I'll probably realistically this year I'll probably get there twice. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And I know you have a a newer line out that's your Thailand line. Can you it's so beautiful. Yeah, Can you talk to well, us about thank that? You. Yeah, I'm so excited about that, especially just because um, of what I shared before about not being able to really work in Thailand right away. Yes, right. Yes. Started, so it's always been a, a goal to go back. So this feels like a dream come true. Yes. But yeah. So we're um, we're doing a Morse code line, mm. and it's kind of in response, really, to um, to what we learned from our Ethiopia line. Um, we just loved the way that customers could relate to the piece in the same mm-hmm. way that the ladies could relate. Mm. And it really humanized everyone yes. in this whole equation. And I loved that. And so um, so we came out with a line of Morse code bracelets. And yes. each bracelet spells out with the beads. It spells out the different words that really define all of us or things that we want to be defined by. So freedom and hope and mm. joy wow. and courage. And so that's, um, you know, our, our hope and prayer is that the people that wear those will feel that, um, that one, it'll be a positive reminder for them to wear, but then they'll know that that's also what the person who made it, mm. you know, is experiencing yes. as well, not just them. Oh, um, I, I love that ethical fashion is, is becoming so known now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I know it, it has taken a while for people to catch on and a lot of people might not even really know what that means totally, but just this idea of valuing human beings mm-hmm. and valuing what we're spending our money on and the person that is allowing, you know, is making it or is allowing us to have that, that yeah. piece. And so I just, I love that Ethic Goods is a part of that. How, how yeah, incredible. So you. as we our listeners, too. if you guys want to check out their incredible line of mm. jewelry, um, go to ethicgoods.com. You can also check them out on Instagram. They're at Ethic Goods. I have multiple pieces of yeah. yours, Megan. Yes. And I just, every time I wear them, um, I get questions. Yeah, and compliments on yeah, yeah, I need to carry your business card and just hand it out. Oh. Um, I'll just start directing them to the website. But um, they're well, so they fun have, to wear. They have these gorgeous leather bags that Love we both it. have. Yes. And I just absolutely, we're getting ready to go on a vacation and... It's going to be my go-to. Oh, for sure. Oh, good. Yeah. That yes. makes my day. Yes. yes, absolutely. We'll we'll post a picture and send it to you. Yes. We'll tag <laughs> Ethic in it. Please do. Yes. <laughs> well, one more thing that I wanted, we talked before, and I just, I have not been able to stop thinking about this. Um, and it's a little bit, we're going to take a little bit of a turn here, but you talked about this value that you and your husband have, and I mm-hmm. just... 
I honestly, you told me this a couple weeks ago and I've thought about it and I've told so many people about yeah. it. So talk to us a little bit about that and what it means to you and your family and, and encourage some of our listeners with that. Yeah, so um, just this is kind of just going back to maybe some of those negative things that yeah. were, you know, spoken over you. And I just yeah. love First John 4.18, and it says, Such love has no fear because perfect fear or perfect love expels all fear. Yes. And if we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. Mm-hmm. And just sort of reading, you know, reading in context and reading that whole chapter, mm-hmm. what John is really talking about is the way that God loves and how that love is to be different and to define us mm-hmm. and how it's the true love from the Lord. And I think I spent personally at least a lot of my um, time feeling afraid of punishment, afraid mm-hmm. that I would get in trouble for the thing that I yeah. that I liked and enjoyed. Yeah. And so because um, I was afraid that, um, you know, those negative voice, voices and punishment are essentially the same thing. Right. You know, I was afraid mm-hmm. of punishment. Um, and so we just, my husband and I have a family value, and that's find people doing things right. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to find people doing things wrong. And yeah. it just, you know, makes you feel terrible. Like there's somebody following, like a cop following you around just waiting for you to mess up. And yeah. Yeah. feeling like you're always in trouble. And, um, and so I just really mm. believe that the Lord finds us doing things right yes. um, and where other people might find us doing thing wrong doing mm. things wrong and um, just for those dreams it's most likely God saying this is right about you this is a gift it's yeah. for me wow you know um, so yeah I just and I've caught myself so many times too like I think that 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 critical spirit can be yeah. transferred and yes. so I, I struggle with that you yeah, know like I find a lot of yeah. things yeah. wrong <laughs> yeah me too and, and other people and myself mm-hmm. you know in my situation and so it's been a really healthy exercise to to intentionally change that own mindset mm. to find people doing things right um and then to speak those things out of course you know and not let them sit but well, I hope you don't mind, but we're going to adopt that yeah, we're into, into our family <laughs> value good, system. Good. I just loved it so much. And I, I understand what you say when I think, you know, I can naturally just, my first instinct sometimes can be to find that, have that critical spirit and to find mm-hmm. that wrong thing. But how much more joy mm-hmm. and peace do you have yeah. when you're finding the best in people, when you're finding something mm-hmm. right about someone? And I feel like you can find something right about anyone. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just negativity can be um, habitual, but a positive spirit can also be uh, yeah. become a habit yeah. and it can be contagious too. Yeah. You know, if you, you yeah. think about hanging around someone that's always uplifting and positive, I know I am more likely to then be that way as well and to continue that. So yeah, I think that's really powerful, Megan. I, I commend you, you and your husband for that. Mm. That is that's encouraged me today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've shared that with my own little family recently of just finding what's good in people. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Well, as we wrap up, what's what would you say to someone who maybe has a gift or passion inside of them, but they, they feel like it's been pushed back by someone or there have been mm-hmm. negative voices that have sort of held them back from that? How would you encourage them to pursue it? Gosh, I mean, this is kind of the same as that that's that's what's right about you. It's not mm-hmm. what's wrong about you. That's yeah. that's it, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think that if it's something the Lord's put on, on your heart, you got to go for it. And it's also the process, too, that, yeah. like, because even though I had that one moment where the Lord really spoke to me, and I'm very thankful for that because I can refer back to it, 
they do, it does still crop up. So it's really been the process of doing ethic day in and day out where that has helped really get over that. So sometimes I don't even know if we can get past those things until we step out in faith Mm -hmm. in whatever that dream is, because the process of growing into that is the process that the Lord uses. I love that adage that basically says like, I prayed for an oak tree and I got a seed. Mm -hmm. I don't know who said that, but it's like God sometimes doesn't give us the whole oak tree. He's going to give us a seed. And because that process of planting and watering and waiting is going to be really healthy for us. So Megan, I recently heard a woman preach and she was talking about the call that God put on her life. And it was interesting because the call he put on her life didn't necessarily fit the way she felt about herself. She, she saw herself as this kind of fearful woman, and yet she was called into these really kind of dramatic experiences. Yeah. And I remember her saying, she said, Lord, give me the courage to step out in faith and do this. Yeah. And she said, he said to her, you step out in faith, and then I'll give you the courage. Wow. Yeah. And I know, I mean, for me some days, I am reminded that, hey, it's always about that step of faith yeah, and obedience and obedience yeah. and then trusting that he's going to give you the courage for the next step and the next step. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that just, that encouraged me. I yeah. Think it will encourage yeah. Our sure. listeners. We have to do it afraid sometimes. Yeah. Oh, do it afraid. That's so good. So good. Do it afraid. <laughs> I think we ought too often. We wait for to not, feel, yeah. not be afraid yeah. for yeah. all the pieces in, in so many areas of life. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, getting into a relationship or having children or taking a new job or, yeah, quitting a job or yeah and moving. I don't think that part goes away yeah no, no I don't think know? so no I don't think so no well thank you so much for sharing your story I know Megan that so many people are going to be I think relate to it in so many mm-hmm. ways and be so encouraged and just uplifted by your um your faith and yeah. your strength and yeah. your your willingness to step out into a call that God has for you um and we are we are so excited I can't wait to you know, I was going to come to D.C. and see you, but now I guess I have to come to Tennessee and see you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we'll come see your beautiful farmhouse that you're renovating. Yes, yes. Yes, that would be so that fun. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for thank sharing you your guys. story. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was. was Yes. Loved it. What a great story. Well, thank you for listening. We are so happy that you did. And if you want to find Megan, she's on Instagram at Megan Hawley. And her name is spelled M-A-E-G-A-N-H-A-W-L-E-Y. So you can find her on there. And you can find Ethic Goods on Mm -hmm. Instagram. You can go to ethicgoods.com. And if you stick around, we'll give you an exciting um, discount code for a discount at Ethic Goods so you can go buy all the pretty things. And they're gorgeous. Yes. And a bag to go with it. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you for listening and we will talk to you next time. Hi H&H listeners. Thank you so much for checking us out today. Wasn't Megan's story incredible? We're so excited to tell you that Ethic Goods is the sponsor for today's show and they have been so generous in giving us, the H&H listeners, a special discount, 20% off if you go and shop at ethicgoods.com and then use the coupon code HH as you check out and you'll get 20% off. This is an amazing way to get beautiful jewelry that has purpose. It's an amazing way to be able to purchase one of their beautiful leather handbags. Heidi and I both have one and we use them all the time. And we're so excited to be able to partner with an organization that has purpose. Each piece from Ethic is handcrafted by the woman that it employs 
Through wearing ethic goods, you become a meaningful part of her story and give freedom to women all over the world. We're so excited to be able to partner with them. There's also a super fun giveaway over on our Instagram, the H&H Hour. So if you head over to there and check that out and use the coupon code HH, capital H, capital H, through the month of July to pick out some awesome pieces for yourself or maybe for a friend. That'd be a great gift too. Thanks again to Ethic Goods, and we're so excited to see you all sporting your new fashion.